Two auspicious events happened this week. Two auspicious events took place. One is, this past Thursday and then again today, we entered into the Hebrew month of Adar. The month of joy, the month of paradox, the month of dreams. And of course, the month of Purim. The holiday of paradox and of mystery. And two, we will, with tomorrow's Torah reading, enter the world of the Mishkan, or the Tabernacle. I want to deal with each of these events tonight, mostly through the prism of the Mishkan, but hopefully at the end to connect the Mishkan with Adar and Purim. Most of you already know possibly the most famous of this week's Torah portions, verses. We sing it at the end of the Roma Mudavening, and it's become quite popular in its English form. O Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true, and in thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary for you. I'll be a living sanctuary for you. Those words from the Gospel. V'asulim mikdash v'shachati betocham, and they will make for me, make me a mikdash, make me a holy space, a sanctuary, and I will dwell within you, amongst you. The wisdom masters of our tradition, our chachamim, of course, are drawn to that word, bitocham, I will dwell within or in your midst. And on a simple level, of course, the literal meaning of the verse is, make a sanctuary amongst you. And I will dwell, v'shachanti b'tocham, I will dwell amongst you, in your midst. But the wisdom masters say, no, there's a deeper illusion happening in this verse. They read it as, make for me a sanctuary, v'shachanti b'tocham, make for me a space. Make a sanctuary, and then I will dwell in it, in you, inside each and every one of us. This intention this deeper understanding of the verse is most beautifully captured by the poet Rabbi Elazar Azkiri from Tzfat in the 16th century, whose poem we just read, Yedid Nefesh. He writes, Bilavavi Mishkan Evne, Lahadar Kivodo. In my heart I will build a sanctuary for you, God, Bilavavi, in my heart, Bilavavi. For so many of us, spiritual seekers, one and all, that short sentence, Bilavavi Mishkan Evne, in my heart I will build a sanctuary for you, I'll be a living sanctuary. That pretty much sums up the whole spiritual enterprise, doesn't it? For many of us. The religious quest can be, as the Talmud asks, can you find the one principle? Can you stand it on one foot? And the one foot of what motivates many of us to come day in, day out, week in and week out to spiritual practices is that in my heart I would like to possibly build God's temple I was in a yoga studio this week and, uh, and very self-consciously as I was getting dressed, I started putting on my 
Talit Katan, my little tzitzis, my little Talit. And I became very, suddenly became very aware that uh, I was looking religious <laughs> in a yoga studio. So it was a very interesting juxtaposition. And all of a sudden, of course, what would enter my mind? It's just an app. That's what I thought to myself. <laughs> it's just an app. Right? There's the hardware, and there are the applications. Every mitzvah, every spiritual practice that we engage in is an opportunity. It's an app or an opportunity to engage with creating a sacred space. Each one of these tools, or as the Zohar calls them, itin tovin, it's eitzo tovot, like good advice. Here's how to live a spiritual life. Here's how to remind yourself. And I thought, wow, my tzitzis are just like wearing a yoga mat. That's where I do my practice of remembering. It's how I remind myself, remember myself, connect myself to God. And we have those spiritual tools in every spiritual tradition. So I want to talk a little bit about this spiritual tool called the Mishkan. And to keep in mind something that my teacher taught me, Rav Zalman, I'm not even sure if it's true, so to speak, but I loved it so much, I'm sharing it with you. He said that the word Mishkan, which of course you can hear in it, Shechina, the Divine Presence, Mishkan, Shechina, the dwelling of God. He said it's cognate with the two-letter, in Hebrew we have three-letter verbs and two-letter verbs. He wanted to argue with me that it is actually connected to the Hebrew verb, two letters, Cain. Yes. Mine or might not be true, but it just spoke so much to me. The Mishkan is the vehicle through which we can respond yes to life. Yeah? The yesing, Cain means to yes, to say yes, to dwell in. So here are some thoughts on how the Mishkan models that kind of inner work. This affirmative yes response to life. Some of the skills and apps that help us to become living sanctuaries for you. The first lesson I learned from the Mishkan is that we must use all that we have around us to build it. It is well known through Buber and Rosenzweig and other modern commentators that the language used in the Torah to describe the Mishkan borrows its language from the story of creation, the story of the creation of the physical universe, of the natural world. This means to me that the Mishkan was a replication and an attempt to build the world again. But, and here is the key, to engage with it is not a thing, but as a living, breathing, alive reality. To approach nature as a thing from a distance to approach the natural world and those things around us as if we are separate from it and not part of it, is to engage in a very modern experiment that has gone awfully awry. The Mishkan is made from all of God's natural world. And as the poet Mark Nepo says, by honoring all things as living things, the courage to join with the universe becomes a manner of being that can happen even while sitting still. In knowing the world this way, there is no such thing as a metaphor. 
The wind is not like God's voice. The wind is God's voice. Memories are not images of loved ones returning to us, but they are the spirits of loved ones visiting us. It takes courage to remove the sliver of distance we carry around our necks, but the reward is a world alive and not dead. And such courage lets the juices of the world flow. So the first lesson for the Mishkan is let the juices of the world flow. That if I want my heart to be responsive to the world, I better treat the world as if it is living and I am a part of it. The second deep teaching that the Mishkan gives me in my yesing process is that any place is as good as any other when it comes to hearing God's voice. Melo Chola Aretz Kvodo says the prophet, God is wherever we let her in, says the Kutzker Rebbe, in the liminal spaces like a desert or the doctor's office, and in liminal times like waiting, waiting. We are invited to make room for the presence of God in that space. The third lesson that I want to focus on is that for many commentators, the Mishkan was given after the golden calf incident. I'm not going to go into that right now. And some have wondered about this. Why would the Mishkan, the most concrete of Jewish worship expressions, be given to a people that had just failed a, a monumental test? Hearing God's voice in the abstract, they decided to concretize God in the golden calf. So God comes along and gives them the golden calf. I'm sorry, gives them the Mishkan. Probably a bad idea. Probably better to send them to kind of uh, Idols Anonymous or something like that. He sends them, here's a Mishkan for all of you idol-worshipping people with, in, with issues. Here's your Mishkan. See how it goes. Aviva Zornberg says something very powerful and I wanted to share it with you. She says that in this way, the Mishkan mirrors our life, which is what Freud called the repetition compulsion is the circularity of life. The same issue in our life will appear over and over and over again in different guises. We'll take 10 years off to work on a particular issue and then only find out 10 years later that we're working on this very same issue but in a different context. We'll run away from a given place that is a wound only to find out that over and over again it's following us wherever we go, waiting to be resolved. And its repetition or its return is not always a sign of our avoidance. I don't want to give that impression. Often its reappearance in our life is because we're not yet done with the issue. We still have work to do in that place. We still have mishkaning to do. We still have the work of transforming and transmuting and transposing places that are painful, places that are real, weaknesses, vulnerabilities, elevating them into a place of nourishment and nutrition. I know that in my own life, I spent most of my 20s thinking that I could run away from communicating. So I spent it in restaurants, waiting tables, sharing the specials. And over and over again in my life, in dreams, and in people that I would meet over and over and over again, 
the call to meet again and again and again, the thing that I would not meet was present. I met this week with a couple whose daughter, um, at the young age of eight, was diagnosed with cancer. And living through the horror of, of that experience, I wondered out loud to them, with them if that experience and her survival had instilled in her a newfound courage to face life's inevitable vicissitudes. And they told me, well, she learned this much, and I quote, Go forward, and when fear arises, if it moves you back, no worries. Just gather yourself together again and plunge in. We each have our inner doors. The golden calf reemerges, and we summon ourselves courageously to enter through those doors. And the last point, the fourth and last point about the Mishkan. And with this, I'd like to bring us full circle to where we began with Adar and Purim. For me, the Mishkan models radical flexibility within radical uncertainty. Radical flexibility within radical uncertainty. The whole month of Adar is full of unknowns. The whole Purim holiday is about randomness and what we can't see. We're supposed to get inebriated on Purim until we don't know. To have an experience of what it feels like to have an absolutely empty space. We don't know. The challenge of building an inner Mishkan is to attune myself to hear how I am to be now, not yesterday, but today. In the service of the heart, spiritual life involves flexibility and being willing to move when necessary, or being willing to hear life telling us, stop right here. This is the place to build holiness. Imagine the Israelites in the desert. They had no idea when God's voice would come to them and say, hey, pick up and go. Hey, pick up and go. Or stop here and build. I remember I was in rabbinical seminary and I was invited to speak at a a shul up here on the Upper West Side. And it was on this week's Torah portion I had prepared a whole Dvar Torah like I did tonight. I had the whole thing lined up in my head and I sit down in the shul to Davin and this is what I experienced. There were two guys in front of me and as soon as the chaz and the cantor started chanting the Dodi, one turned to the other and said, I hate that melody. <laughs> I thought he was going to do the different melody. And I, I mean, as much as I tried to focus on the Dodi, that's it. I was done. <laughs> For the next 15 minutes, that's all I was thinking. That's, that's my Dvar Torah. I, I, so I threw out what I said. I said, here kind of message and, right, the meaning and the message. The Mishkan means that every, right, every spiritual edifice, every spiritual building, everything that you build, if it isn't flexible enough to be taken down in a moment's notice, won't survive the desert. And that to hear God's voice clearly and to be, in a sense, modeling the Mishkan is to be able to be flexible, to be able to change at a moment's notice, to leave ourselves open that who knows, who knows. 
So how do we live and act in the face of radical not knowing? We read a scroll. On Purim, we'll read a scroll called Migilat Esther, which literally means the revealing of the concealed. Migilat Esther, Migale Mashinistar, to reveal what's hidden. Adar and this holiday are examples of being able to face radical uncertainty with a sense of the mysterious. So we have our work cut out for us. When we say at the end of davening tonight, and in thanksgiving I'll be a living sanctuary for you, we mean to say, may each of us as we live through this liminal time we call life, cultivate the qualities of the inner mishkan, the bilavavi mishkan evne, appreciating God and all that surrounds us, one, emptying and making room for the holy, two, courageously facing our inner core issues and walking through those doors, three, and being flexible with how God wants us to show up in the world. And may we each be blessed with the strength drawn from this joyous month, full of paradox, sweet, holy uncertainty, and surprises that remind us at all moments to seek what is already present, awaiting our discovery. May the reading of the Esther scroll, the hidden place, be a blessing for each and every one of us as we rise together for the Baruch Hu.